Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue in our study of Hebrews right on through this Advent season because what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here in this chapter, chapter 11, uh, certainly fits with Advent because it's about faith. It's about trusting God. It's about believing God. And so all of that centers around the Advent season very well. We're only going to look at two verses today. Uh, Brother Ricky's already read the uh, corresponding historical passage in the book of Genesis, chapter 5, where it talks about Enoch and, and what took place. And by the way, somebody asked me this morning, said, is it Enoch or Enoch? And I, the, the, the right answer to that is depends on where you're from. You know, I, I think I've heard Enoch a lot in Kentucky, and uh, I've always said Enoch, but either one is acceptable. Uh, they're, they're both, I think, appropriate pronunciations, regionally speaking. Look at chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him, quoting Genesis. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is the word of God from Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. As we, as we hear this passage, you know, you, you go back to those verses that, that uh, Ricky read, and there's very little, I think five verses there that talk about Enoch. And there's not a great historical narrative there. The most important thing we know about him, other than the fact he was taken and did not have to see death, was that he was Methuselah's father. Now, if you remember about Methuselah, Methuselah was what? The oldest man that ever lived. Yeah, he lived longer than anybody else, according to Scripture. And so we know that about him. We know Enoch was his father. But beyond that and beyond the fact that, that God took him and he did not die, uh, we know very little about Enoch. But there's a lot that has been extrapolated even by this writer to the Hebrews that helps us understand a little bit about what that small, brief, very uneventful narrative in so many ways tells us about Enoch. But not only about Enoch, but it tells us a lot of stuff about us and important things for us. As a matter of fact, I, I thought it significant, quite honestly, I, that we come to this day uh, and this passage on this day when we're about to go into the, uh, to the groundbreaking this afternoon at 4 o'clock. I, I think this passage has a lot to say to us, and we'll uh, unfold that hopefully before this is over with, but it has a lot to say to us about what, how Enoch was and how we are to be. I think it, it tells us what God is expecting of us as we come uh, to this day and go beyond, as we move into a facility, as we move into a permanent home, what is it that will absolutely please God? Because, see, I want you to understand, God is not going to be pleased just because we build a building. There are buildings everywhere that have been built, ostensibly for the, for the purpose of worship, ostensibly for, for God, if you will. There are buildings built everywhere, some of them much more beautiful, much more ornate, much more uh, uh, stunning than what we'll be building over on Oak Leaf Lane. I mean, there have been some buildings that have been built that are tremendous tabernacles, tremendous uh, 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 
not coliseums, cathedrals, thank you. My brain's slipping this morning. Beautiful cathedrals that are just un unbelievable. I've, I've been in some of them in Europe, and they, they, are, they are beautiful. And you might stand back and say, boy, God must have been really pleased that that building was built. But you go in those buildings now, and there's no life, there's only death. As a matter of fact, some of them, their main purpose today is to serve as tombs for, for dead priests or, or, or dead ministers. They're, they're buried there. And it's not a matter of, uh, of worship to God at all. It's just a matter of memorial. It's just a matter of, of monument and not a place of worship. The writer of Hebrews says about Enoch this. He said, Enoch was taken so that he would not see death. And he was, he was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now, now I don't know about you, but I, I certainly want my epitaph or my testimony of my life, I really would like for it to be, uh, Bill Haynes was pleasing to God. You know, if, if everything else could be forgotten, and that could be said about me, I would be a most happy man when I face death to just know that, that it was acknowledged and it was seen, it was understood that my life was one that pleased God. Not because of sermons I preached, not because of buildings that were built, not because I, I did a lot of good things, but I was pleasing to God on the grounds of what makes, what, 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 is, what the scripture says is God's pleasing factors. You see, we sometimes think, I, I've got to work at it. I've got to work hard to please God. I, I, I've, I've been at times in my life where I felt like if I didn't witness to at least 15 people a week, God wasn't going to be happy with me. I've been at a time in my life where I felt like if I didn't give at least 10% and really more than that, then God was really not going to be happy with me. And then I've been at times in my life where I felt like, man, if I miss one service of church, then, then God's just not going to be happy with me. But I had to come to realize at a certain point in my life that those are not the things anywhere in Scripture that God says are what pleases him. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to witness. I'm not saying that it's not important to, to give. I'm not saying that's not important to gather for worship because indeed all of those things are vitally important and taught in the word, but not a single one of those are taught as things that please God. Now why would that be? Well, partially because you can do those out of all sorts of false motivations. You can please them out of uh, you can do them out of trying to get God to smile upon you, trying to win favor with God, trying to trying to make God like you more. And those are all false motivations for any of those things. Things never please God. Do you hear that? Things never please God. He's not pleased by them. He's not impressed by them. It's only one thing that pleases him, and that's what the writer wants to concentrate on here. He says in verse 6, after talking about Enoch and the fact that Enoch was pleasing to God and translating that out of the Hebrew over in Genesis and out of the Greek here in this passage, you would find that pleasing God, pleasing to God, literally means that Enoch brought God pleasure. He brought God pleasure through his life. 
and through how he lived his life. And there's only one factor, only one matter that the writer here brings us out of Enoch's life that indicates what pleased God. And that is in verse 6, he says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, what does the writer mean here? Does he mean somehow that, well, you, you have faith, you say, I believe in Christ, I believe in God, and then kind of put that aside and do everything else in your own strength? Does he mean that, you know, as long as you have made a profession of faith and you've acknowledged some type of faith, some level of faith, some dimension of faith, no matter what you do the rest of your life, as long as you did that one thing, then God is pleased with you because you've expressed faith and it's by faith that, that, that God is pleased because it's impossible to please him without faith? Is that what that means? Absolutely not. Now, coming to Christ is an important act of faith. If you come to, in the right manner, in the right way, in the right understanding, you come to Christ holding out nothing. The old hymn that I quoted last week, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's coming by faith. That's coming and saying, Lord, I don't have anything to commend me. I don't have anything that, that would, would warrant you saying, oh, wow, you did that? That's great. I'm glad that I've got you. That's not how, you know, some of us act like God really was lucky to get us. I mean, let's be honest. Boy, what would God have done without me in Somerset, Kentucky? If I hadn't have come to him, if, if I hadn't have been his disciple, if I hadn't have followed him, what would God have done without me? Well, I'll tell you what he would have done. Probably a whole lot better if that's your attitude. The point the writer is making here is that without faith it is impossible to please him in every area, in every dimension, in every part of your life. That means in your work life, in the job you carry out. I don't care what it is. If it's digging a ditch or if it's, if it's serving as a, a high official in the government, doesn't matter. If you approach that in what I can do and how I can do it, then that's not pleasing to God. If you approach that or any other area of your life with saying, Lord, I'm depending on you, I'm trusting you, I'm asking you for wisdom, I'm seeking your guidance, I'm seeking your face here, Lord, show me how to do what you've called me to do. Show me how to carry out the vocation that you have given me. Show me, Lord, what it is in this area that you want me to do for your glory. That's faith. And that's pleasing to him. Whether you're a ditch digger or a doctor or, or a president of a country, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't vary. God's not more pleased with a Christian politician, if they exist. He's not more pleased with a Christian politician than he is with a Christian dick, uh, ditch digger that really seeks to trust God for what he's doing. Do you understand that? That really is important. And that really is what he's wanting to say here. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. Now, how does that relate to us this afternoon at 4 o'clock when we go over and we, we, we stick some shovels, hopefully, in the ground, a few of us, and symbolically for the whole church, turn over dirt 
We may have to use a pick, or, or some of you may have to bring a jackhammer if you have one. But, but we'll go over and we'll, we'll break dirt. What does this passage say to us about that? Well, it says this, that if you're building a building so that you can say, look what we did, or if you're building a building so that others will say, oh, wow, look what they did, or if we're building a building over there just so we can say, wow, in just four years, look what we've done then that will not be pleasing to God. There's no reason for that. There's no purpose in that. If we're building a building just so that somehow we can get a little glory and get a little attention, then my friend, we might as well close it down today because that's not going to be pleasing to God and that's not going to earn God's favor. We have to do it by faith. Now I happen to think that we for four years have trusted God and we have walked with God, which is what Enoch did, that we have sought God's face and we have sought God's will, not perfectly. I gotta tell you, not perfectly. We find ourselves slipping in sometimes to the old traditional molds and traditional ways and, and that scares the willies out of me. You know what willies are, don't you? Okay. That scares me to death. Because what happens when we fall in the old traditions is we just put it in, in, in autopilot. When we fall in the old traditions, we just say, oh, well, that's the way it's always been, that's the way it's always been, that's the way we're going to always do it. Well, I'm not, I don't think God likes that at all. Because that requires no faith. That requires no trust, not in him, maybe in yourself, maybe in the tradition, but not in him. I mean, God is wanting us to be bold in trusting him to step out in ways that we never thought possible, that we never thought we would be doing, but all for his glory and all for his purpose. We said when we started this thing four years ago, or when he started this thing four years ago, that we really wanted to be different. I made the statement on a temporary platform back there where the sound booth is now and y'all were all out here, or a lot of you were. Some of you weren't. I'm glad you're here now. But I made the statement then. I said, if we're just going to be another traditional Southern Baptist church, then please, let's don't do this. Because there's plenty of those around. And, and go and be a part of it. I mean, that, and I really mean that. I mean, if, if we're just going to be another traditional church that does things by program and by entertainment and by, by, by just whatever, seeing what we can do to make it look bigger and better, then I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But if we're going to be a faith that, that follows the example of Enoch and the follows the example of Abel that we looked at last week, Abel showing us what worship is that's pleasing to God, Enoch showing what a walk is that's pleasing to God. If we're going to try to pattern ourselves after Abel and Enoch, then, then count me in. I want to be on board, man. I want to go. I want to see it happen. But I realize, and I hope you realize, that there's a vast number of people, even in churches, maybe even in grace, that really just want to see us just, just, keep, the, just keep the status quo. Just keep it like it's always been. Just, just don't rock the boat. I mean, you start trusting God for things, that rocks the boat. You start trusting God for things, that makes people uncomfortable. Generally, it makes preachers uncomfortable. But I don't want to be a part of just another traditional, programmatic, and problematic Southern Baptist Church. 
I want to be a Southern Baptist church. I believe what we're doing in missions. I prayed for Lottie Moon offering earlier. We're going to hear more about that. I want us to give and give sacrificially to that. But but I don't want to be a church that just says, oh, well, uh, it's, it's Christmas time. Let's give to Lottie Moon. It's Easter time. Let's give to Annie Armstrong. It's, it's this time. It's that time. Let's just... No, that's, that's just program. I want us to give out of a heart that says, you know, I believe that this 10000 or this 20000 or whatever we give to Lottie Moon, I believe that that money is going to go and be used of God to change lives and reach people with the gospel. That's what I want it to be. I want to take that money and pray over it and say, Lord, this is, this is, this is what we are giving, not because we're so good to give it, but because we're trying to obey you and we're trying to by faith give this and send it out to be used for global missions and global evangelism but if we're just going to be another church we might as well not spend the money it's going to cost to build it we might as well quit paying the salaries it's costing to pay to, to keep this church going and we might as well shut the doors go out and join somewhere else and just kind of blend in if, if that's what we really want you see I'm convinced and I've told you this before I'm convinced that we are here by God's design. We're not here because something happened that was beyond our control. We're here because God engineered the circumstances. I believe God brought me to Somerset and Todd and Ricky and Scott and the rest of them to Somerset. Well, Scott was already here. But, but he brought the rest of us to Somerset for Grace Baptist Church that wasn't even in existence when we came. Now, I have to see that by faith. It doesn't make sense looking at it humanly. But we see it by faith. And, and I believe that God has brought you here. You who came four years ago and you who have come since. I believe God brought you here to, to walk in faith, trusting him to be a church that really is a church that honors God, that worships God, that, that carries the great commission not only to the uttermost parts of the world but to the innermost parts of Somerset. And I believe that God has called us to walk by faith in doing that. And it'll be uncomfortable. You know, I, I keep having people say, man, when, when we get over on Oakleaf Lane, we're just going to explode. We're going to have all sorts of people coming and looking and wanting to be a part, and we're just going to grow uh, exponentially. I don't think so. Now, don't get me wrong. If that's what God wants to do, I'm, I'm with him. I mean, if that's what he has in mind. But I want us to be sure of one thing, and one thing is that we don't say, okay, man, this is great. Now we've got to program all this stuff so we can see it happen. No, as long as we'll keep our eyes focused on him and saying, Lord, we want to trust you. We want to walk with you. We want to believe you. And you do whatever you want to do, and we will trust you in the midst of it, then, then I'm all for whatever he wants to do. If we get over there and start saying, well, we've got to have this program and that program, we've got to make this happen so that this will happen, then, folks, we just fall into the trap. And we've fallen into some traps already. We, we really have, and we'll talk more about those in days to come. And, and they're not big traps yet, but they certainly have the potential to be in big traps unless we say, Lord, wait a minute, is this really, is this really what you want us doing? Is this really how you want us walking with you? Is this really even walking with you? Or is this walking in the flesh? And trying to ask you to bless what we're doing 
in the flesh. It says Enoch walked with God. He was pleasing to God. God took him without even having to die because of God's pleasure with him. And, and the writer says, I want you to understand something. Enoch shows us this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And folks, without faith, it is impossible to build a building and a church that's pleasing to God. If we're doing it on man's terms and man's systems and man's ways, then it's not going to please God. I really want to drive that home. You know, I, I uh, I stand in this pulpit week after week, and it could be very easy to stand here in the flesh and say, "Oh, well, I've done this for thirty-five, forty years. I can keep doing it for another, whatever, and just I've got it down pat now." That would be so. That would be dishonoring to God. I stand here with fear and trepidation. I I stand here every week saying, "Lord." Lord, help me to speak your word as clearly as I can. Lord, by faith, I want you to speak your word through me. I, I'm, I'm incapable of adequately speaking your word in my own strength, in my own flesh. Lord, I want you to use this time. I come to this worship service by faith, not because I'm strong. I'm very weak, to be honest with you. I'm very weak. Oh, I may put up a good front. I may convince you I'm really strong, but I'm really not. I'm really very weak. And, and you know, I can succumb to traps just like you can and like we can together if our focus and if our hope and if our trust is not in Christ alone. We made several commitments when we came here. Commitments that we would not be a typical church as far as an inactive membership goes. And I fall into the trap saying, well, Lord, let me just get past this building program, then we'll deal with that. We can't do that. I owe my staff an apology, to be honest with you. I, I guess confession's good for the soul and bad for the reputation, but bear with me a moment. But I, this past week in staff meeting, I kind of blew off one of my staff members and said, look, we'll worry about that when we get, get this thing built. Let's get it done. That's crazy. That's not honoring to God. And I'm having to repent of that. I really am. Because that's just not what he's called us to be. He's called us to walk by faith. He's called us to walk by, uh, by trust. And, and, and when we see people dropping away and becoming inactive and just kind of playing religious games, we need to hold them accountable because we said we were going to be a covenant community. A covenant community. A covenant family. We were going to live up to that covenant with one another by God's grace. We were going to pray for one another. We were going to encourage one another. We were going to walk with one another. And when necessary, we were going to admonish one another. And when we see people just kind of skipping off into oblivion and skipping off into inactivity, and, and, and I understand, I don't, I don't mean to... To say you can judge everything. I mean, there, there are people who aren't here right now because they can't be, and I know that. That's not what we're talking about. But I'm talking about people who have, who have, who have consciously decided, I won't, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm going to go do something else. 
or those who have decided I've, I've got a lifestyle issue here and I'd rather live this lifestyle in sin than, than go to worship, then that has to be dealt with. And by God's grace, we've got to trust him to help us to deal with it. If we're going to be a church that pleases God. Enoch pleased God. I want my epitaph to be that I pleased God. I want, the, I want the testimony of Grace Baptist Church in this city to be that there's a church that pleases God, not by program, not by activity, but because we trust him. And trust him in the building of this, trust him in the, in the ministry that it's going to give us, trust him in what he wants to do. That's what I think is the burning, important thing when it comes to breaking ground this afternoon. If we're just building a building, then for God's sake, let's don't do it. If we're just doing something for us, let me rephrase that. If we're doing something that is even just a little bit for us, for God's sake, let's don't do it. When the psalmist said in Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. That is a statement of absolute faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And then what does it say? Well, it goes on and says those, how does he describe what faith is? Well, for, for those who come to God must believe two things. They must believe that he is. Now, now that may seem like an obvious statement. Those who come to God must believe that God is. Well, if you come to something, you've got to believe it's there, don't you? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a gimme. Those who believe, those who trust, those who come to God must believe that God is. But I think it's far deeper than just believing that there is some kind of nebulous God out there. You must believe that he is who he said he is. Years ago, when I was a freshman in college, and brother, that was years ago, I remember picking up a little book entitled uh, Your God is Too Small by uh, J.B. Phillips. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you've read it years ago. I don't remember a lot about it in its entirety. I remember the title, obviously, and I love the title. We need to think about that concept a good bit today. But your God is too small. One thing he said in it, he brought out the fact that mo many of us, many people in the churches today uh, say they come to God in faith, but they don't because they come to a God that they have sort of fashioned after themselves. They come to a God that they've created. They come to a God that is a figment of their imagination. Coming to God is not just coming to any God, not just coming to any, any idea of God, not just coming to something you want God to be, but those who, those who have faith, those who please him, those who walk with him must come to God and believe that he is. And literally that means believe that he is who he says he is, believe that he is what he says he is. They must believe in the true and living God. Not an idol, 
Not a false concept. Not this idea that God is love and, and all God wants is peace and love and joy. And there's no wrath. There's no anger. There's no, there, there's, there's no judgment in God. Baloney. That's not God. If you take that away. Now, if you make it all wrath and all judgment, that's not God either. But you must come to him and believe that he is who he says he is and what he says he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I always find that an interesting statement. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Here's why I find that. The scripture is fairly abundantly clear in Romans and in Isaiah, and, and, and Paul makes this clear several places, especially Romans 3, that there is no one who seeks God. No, no one seeks after him. I was reading a passage out of uh, the silver chair this morning, just kind of in a little quiet time in my study. The silver chair by C.S. Lewis. It's one of the Chronicles of Narnia. I think it's the fourth book in the Chronicles of Narnia. And I remember the story of, of Jill and, um, I forget the guy's name, it's a weird name. But anyway, they were, they were playing on, they, they'd come back into to, uh, this area that they thought to be Narnia. It wasn't yet Narnia, but they'd come back, they'd walk through a gate, and here they were in this other world, and, and, and they're playing close to the edge of a cliff, and, and the boy falls off. And Jill almost falls off, but she doesn't. And, and, and she turns around after he's fallen off, and there's Aslan, the lion. And, and, and Aslan looks at her and says, what are you doing? He said, well, the boy fell off. He said, well, why did he fall off? He said, well, he was trying to keep me from falling off. And said, well, why were you so close to the edge? And she said, oh, I was, I was showing off. And Aslan said, that's a good answer. It's a good answer said, I, I, have, I have blown, the boy's okay, I have blown him to Narnia. I love the imagery. I've blown him, the spirit of God is the breath of God. He's blown him to Narnia, and you'll meet him there, and he's okay, because I have called you here for a purpose. It says, Jill thought in her mind, well, what, the, the poor lion is confused. Uh, he thinks he called us here. And, and I wonder if I should say anything because I don't want to get in a terrible mess because he thinks we're somebody we're not. And, and finally, she just keeps her mouth shut. And Aslan looks at her and says, girl, speak your mind. And she said, well, I, I just wanted to clear up something, sir. You know, you said you called us here, but you didn't call us here. We came because we wanted to. And Aslan looked at her and said, if I had not called you, you wouldn't have wanted to. That's the key to seeking God. That's the key of what he's talking about here. God has called us. God has gifted us with grace. And God says, now, I've shown you my grace. I've given you the faith to believe. Now, follow me, seek me, pursue me. Only a believer can do this because only a believer can please God. If, if you're not in Christ, you can't please. It's impossible to please God if you're not in Christ because there is no faith. There is no believing him. There is no trusting him. And, and Lewis had it down so clear in that little scene out of the silver chair. You know, I, 
you're here. I called you here. That's why you're here. Now pursue me with all your heart. I believe it was, I'm going to get confused here, but I believe it was Tozier that had the statement in, in one of his books about pursuing God that he said, listen, we must go after God hard. We must go after God hard. It pleases him when he's given us life and called us to himself and, and, and given us the, the grace that he's given us. It pleases him for us to believe him so much that we go after him hard. We believe that we need to pursue him. We believe that we, he will honor and he will reward those who seek him, those who pursue him, those who know him. But so often we make salvation such a such a kind of thing. I believe, I trust in Christ, I'm saved, it's all over. Or even as a church, we can act like, oh, well, we became a church, we organized, we constituted, we've, we've, we've done what we need to do now, it's all, we're what we're supposed to be. Majestically and magically, we are made a church. To please him, we have to go after him hard as individual believers, and as a church family. We have to pursue him. We have to desire him. We have to want him. And want that sweet fellowship and want that constant, constant awareness of forgiveness and cleansing every single day. Without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Thus, the title of the sermon, you got to have faith. No other way. No other possibility. Now, I wanted to tell you all all that in the cold this afternoon. So when you're standing out there and you're cold, and I hope every one of you out there just freezing to death with me, when you're doing that, I want you to remember this. I'll remind us of it very briefly. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. You've got to believe he is who he said he is. And you've got to pursue that one who is revealed in Holy Scripture. And you've got to believe that he honors and rewards those who seek him, those who pursue him in Christ. You've got to have faith. Let's pray. Father, it is so easy to try to do it ourselves. It's so easy to make this an organization rather than an organism. It's so easy to say, we can do it. 
Lord God, I don't want to do it unless you're doing it. Whatever it is, building a building, preaching a sermon, sharing the gospel, going on mission, I don't want to do it if you're not doing it. If you're not, if you're not ahead of us on it and we're not following you, I don't want to do it. Because I know it's impossible to please you apart from faith. Lord, make us a faith family that's trusting you and loving one another, that's knowing you and knowing one another, and that's bonding together in covenant to go out and, and change this world. Not by politics and not by the sword, but change this world by the gospel. Father, for this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.